For the New York State AFL-CIO, I'm Darcy Wells, and this is Union Strong. On this podcast, we take a look back 108 years to the Triangle Shirtwaist Fire in New York City. I ran out. I went to the door we go out with, but the fire was there. So I went to the door that was closed. I didn't know that was That was Pauline Pepe, a survivor of the fire, speaking at a commemoration in 1986. going down the steps. We all tumbled one right after another. And I saw people throwing themselves from the window. It was a fire that took the lives of 146 people, a fire that changed workplace safety and changed the labor movement. Today, we talked to a union leader who was very involved in keeping that history alive. My name is Edgar Romney. And I'm Secretary Treasurer of Workers United SEIU, formerly the International Ladies Garment Workers Union, which was the union that was trying to organize those workers in 1911 on that fateful day. I'm going to move the program. Edgar Romney is the Secretary Treasurer of Workers United, which represents over 100,000 workers in the textile, distribution, commercial laundry, and food service industries. He spent his career fighting for workers' rights in the labor movement. He joined the former International Ladies' Garment Workers' Union in 1962 as a shipping clerk and was an active shop steward. He later became an organizer and business agent with the union. For many years, Mr. Romney has been involved in international trade union work for social and economic justice for apparel and textile workers around the world. He's been a leader in the fight against global sweatshops. And Workers United is described as the union of the Triangle Shirtwaist Fire, which is why we asked Secretary Treasurer Romney to join us on this podcast to take a look back at the historical Triangle Shirtwaist Fire and how that tragedy forever changed workplace safety and made the labor movement much stronger in the process. And Mr. Romney, I'd like to welcome you to our podcast. Well, thank you very much. It's certainly nice to be with you. So um, let's talk a little bit about the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory Fire was one of the deadliest industrial tragedies in U.S. history. It was a true sweatshop. Can you talk a little bit about the conditions, what they were like inside that factory? Yes, back in 1909, 1910, and 1911, when the apparel industry was growing uh, in this city and indeed in this country, uh, many workers were working under sweatshop conditions. And what that basically meant was that they were working very long hours with very low pay, no benefits to speak of, and very few health and safety regulations. And that's one of the reasons why when the Triangle Shirtwaist Fire actually occurred, people were not able to get out of that building because actually there were very few health and safety laws that were actually enforced, and those doors were locked, and those workers were not able to get out. So the conditions were very, very bad in the apparel industry back in, in, at that time. And these were um, young immigrant women, um, some of them teenagers, right? That is correct. Some of them were young as 13, 14, 15 years old. 
uh, and unfortunately, they had to make a dreadful decision, many of them did, of the 146 people that died in that fire to actually uh, jump out of that window. And obviously, uh, they perished when they, they hit the sidewalk. Many of them, uh, they couldn't get out. Uh, they tried to go. Some of them were able to get down the elevator until that burned. Some of them tried uh, when the doors actually did get open. Uh, some of them tried to get down the stairway, but many of them died there as well. But yes, there was certainly a lot of a lot of young immigrant Jewish and Italian young women uh, who passed away in that tragic fire. Now, I know one of the issues, too, um, was the response by uh, the uh, fire department, the trucks that first of all, they had the netting, apparently, that couldn't support the weight of the workers as they jumped out the window. Right. Well, there were a number of issues as they jumped out. The, when the, uh, the ladders back in those days were unable to get all the way up to the floors that, uh, the eighth and ninth floor, uh, to be able to carry those workers down. But there were so many of them that fi- that factory had about on those several floors, several hundred workers. And so there would just never, there never would have been an, enough time. But one of the things that it, did happen as a result of that in regard to the fire department. You know, and again, we're talking about 1911, the turn of the century. You know, they realized that they had to build better equipment and get ladders, you know, get trucks that had ladders that were able to support people and certainly going up to higher floors. And um, I know when you have the anniversary, which is marked every year on March 25th, that's a pretty emotional moment, isn't it, when you reenact that and bring in a fire truck? Those of you that have been with us in years past know that the most moving part of the ceremony historically has been the raising of the ladder by the fire department and then laying that is of a flower. And one of the things that we do every year in commemoration of this event is to, to have the ladder raised today because obviously it goes up way higher than the floors that it did at that time back in 1911. And uh, and we ring, lay a flower for each and announce each one of the people who perished in that deadly fire and the fire department rings the bell. God help us if we ever forget what happened here. Can I have ladder 20, please raise the aerial. Today we remember Anna Cohen, Sarah Cooper, Michalina Coronado. So it's an emotional day, but we think that it's extremely important for us to continue to do this, not only to remember what happened to those young workers, those 146 people that perished in, in that fire, but how it went on to change safety and health and labor laws in the city and the state and in this country. And one of the people who was instrumental in some of making sure some of those changes took place was Frances Perkins. And I know that um, there's a tremendous oral history of her. A terrible industrial accident, uh, which burned up the contents of a, of a ninth and 10th floor uh, loft building uh, factory. Talking about how she felt, she happened to be, she was a young social worker at the time, happened to be having some tea with a friend near the factory uh, when they ran to the scene and they witnessed the horrific choice that so many of these people, young women made during the fire to jump jump to their deaths. The net broke. She had a terrible distance and the, um, the, uh, the weight of the bodies was so great at the speed at which they were traveling that they broke through the net. And every one of them was killed. Everybody who jumped was killed. Um, can you talk to me about her role following the fire? 
Well, she, as you re- mentioned, that she was actually having tea at a, uh, at a restaurant close by, and, and she actually was able to witness some of the you know, tragedies that happened there, some of the w- women that actually jumped out the window. And as we know that Frances Perkins was, uh, was an activist, you know, prior to her becoming the Secretary of Labor, you know, uh, for the United States. But she was one of the people that was extremely instrumental in advocating and pushing uh, for changes, you know, in the health and safety laws for workers in the workplace and so she did an extraordinary job in terms of making sure you know it took a while to obviously get some of the things accomplished uh, that she wanted to and do it proved to be a most educative experience uh, this this factory investigating commission was continued from year to year until it sat for four years and its report but she was very, very instrumental in getting some of those laws changed for worker safety and health and, and protections. Now, days after the fire, or maybe the day after, I'm, I'm not sure, New York's garment uh, district workers walked off the job as a result of that, right? Well, many, many, that, at that time, the city had about uh, a couple of hundred thousand garment workers in and around in the city of New York. And in protest of what happened there and in commemoration of what happened, in support of those workers and support of workers coming together to, to form to, and to, to continue to form and to join the, the, the union, the ILGWU at the time, uh, workers, over a hundred thousand workers took to the street. Uh, to demonstrate that the protest what happened on that fateful day and as a result of that that's one of the times that the union had its biggest growth in the city of New mm. York because there was just a great demand not only by those workers but supported by a number of legislators and politicians activists and other community people so that workers could get better protection in in the apparel and garment industry well it certainly was then successful in bringing attention to poor working conditions and workplace safety in general what what are some of the things that changed as a result of that tragic fire? Well, I think that the important things to recognize that change was that that the that the city and state officials realized that that doors should not could not be locked from the outside and inside workers could not get out. So that was the beginning of the changes of laws where factories, whether it's garment or other type factories, all right, people had to have access to be able to get out of a building in the event of a fire. So that that, that was one of the, the major changes. One of the others was that companies were required to have fire extinguishers, you know, in their in their factories or buckets of water, okay, or something to be able to extinguish fires uh, uh, when they happen. Uh, the other thing that uh, was a result of that, uh, fire escapes. Okay, were, were mandated to be put on buildings so people, could, you know, were able to get out. Uh, you know, that was also the beginning of the process of getting fire uh, sprinkler systems in buildings. As new buildings were built, they had to be built with because uh, they got bigger and taller. And you know, many buildings were made where windows did not open. You know, there was a great conscious uh, level on a number of people, particularly uh, the activists and, and our politicians, that more had to be done to protect workers in the workplace. And Mr. Romney, I know you were the MC of the event um, in New York City to mark the anniversary. What was your main message on that day? What did you want people to be thinking about and focusing on moving forward? Well, a couple of things. One, that we should never forget what what happened on that fateful day on March 25th, uh, 1911. And we must always remember what happened and never forget it. But in addition to that, we continue to advocate for worker and health safety in today's workplace today. 
There are a number of people that have uh, that have died uh, in industrial accidents, uh, in construction sites, and we continue to advocate and to stress the importance that it's uh, that we need to continue to work to improve health and safety environments. And uh, and that's so that's a continuation. We never want to forget what happened to those people, but we also advocate for workers today to continue to be sure that we protect them in the workplace. The other thing that we do is that we advocate for work that have uh, of different parts of the world, particularly in and part of our my message is that part of the the workers in, in garment factories around the world that work for big brands and re- retailers in places like China and Vietnam, Bangladesh. Uh, Cambodia, that those workers also, uh, that those brands, okay, take responsibility for the conditions that those workers work around the world. So it's not only just commemorating and remember of what happened on, on March 25th, to, uh, 1911, but also to make sure that we continue to advocate and fight for worker protection in the workplace in, in this country and around the world. And I know that there's a memorial called Reframing the Sky Memorial, and um, that's possible that that could even be dedicated uh, next year on the anniversary of the fire. There has been a lot of work that has gone into making this a reality, literally years in making this happen. Well, Reframing the Sky is something that we have been working on for a number of years. It, uh, it is, we found and learned that it is an expensive proposition. Uh, we were very fortunate that the governor, uh, Andrew Cuomo, has uh, contributed a million and a half dollars to that effort. Uh, we have been working with NYU, who is now the owner of the building, the Brown Building at the site of Washington and Green Street. We have been working with the community boards, the Landmarks Commission. The borough president has been and others have been very, very active and instrumental in helping this get done. And it is our hope that we'll be able to have a permanent memorial at the site that we'll be able to dedicate on March 25th, 2000, next year, 2020. And the purpose for that is that people for well, many, many years to come will be able to visit that site. Students will be able to come and learn about what happened in 1911 because uh, it's, it's an important part of history. It's an important part of the immigrant experience in this country. And we want to make sure that those people are never forgotten and they will always be remembered by that memorial. So we're excited about that. Hopefully we'll be able to have the dedication that will be ready. And we've been a lot of people have come together to do a lot of work. And so we're, we're very, very excited about that possibility uh, for next year. Okay, fantastic. Well, we know unions continue to fight today for workplace safety and to ensure that uh, people have a voice in the workplace. So, Mr. Romney, we want to thank you for all that you do, and thank you very much for being on our podcast. It is certainly my pleasure. Ida Brodsky, 15. Laura Brunetti, 17. And Abraham... If you'd like to hear more of the oral history from the Shirtwaist Factory Fire, we'll include a link to the Industrial and Labor Relations School at Cornell University where the archives are stored on our show notes. I want to thank the Keel Center at Cornell as well. They collect and preserve these source materials that we used in this podcast today. Joining me now on the podcast is our digital director, Kevin Eitzman. Hi, Kevin. Hi, Darcy. So we, who would have ever thought when we recorded this podcast uh, on the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory Fire a year ago that we'd both be recording this from our homes because we're working from home and we'd be in the middle of this COVID-19 pandemic. It's just so strange. Never would have guessed. So um, 
we just want to update people, although we recorded this a year ago, there's efforts still underway to have the Triangle Fire Memorial, um, which is being worked on and is going to be at the location of the actual fire. So obviously they didn't have to cancel the um, memorial service and the ceremony for this year. And um, so hopefully we'll be able to be involved in that a year from now. And um, perhaps at that time, they'll be able to actually unveil the memorial. So I, I know that's, there's a lot um in, in the works with that. And it's very possible it can be completed by then. I know they were hoping to complete it in 2019. So mm-hmm. we'll look forward to that. Yeah. And it's, it's impressive how the Triangle Shirt Fire still brings a lot of lessons that we learned today, the OSHA and worker protections and, you know, tragedy sometimes uh, brings that out in people. And now with the, the COVID virus, we're seeing workers who were called unskilled are now essential workers, we're seeing, uh, you know, people calling for them to have higher pay and more worker protections, paid sick leave. So a lot and of the, the protective gear and yeah. everything else that goes along with it. That's yeah. right. So a lot of the lessons that we learned from Triangle Shirt Fire, you know, still apply today. When when things happen and there's a crisis, uh, people realize we need to protect workers and we need to do better by them. And I know people are looking for a lot of um, information on COVID-19 and and, uh, what kind of relief there is for workers. Uh, We did a podcast uh, a few days ago on that, and you created a page on our website. Why don't we tell folks about where they can find that information? Yep. If you go to nysaflcio.org slash COVID-19, COVID-19, uh, that's it's right on the main page of our site. And we have some charts that were made up by our chief of staff. Uh, that are great. They talk about the federal um, relief issues and the state relief issues. And uh, we have some of the guidance issues from the New York state government uh, guidance on a bunch of different issues. So we have a lot of information that we're putting up there all the time to try to keep people informed and get them uh, the information they need. And, you know, really participate on social media too: Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, uh, help us lift up the stories of workers who are doing amazing things in this time and um, get the information out there about how you can uh, get relief if you're a worker affected by COVID-19. And we'll work uh, on other podcasts coming up very soon to update folks on how those uh, benefits change and how that relief changes for workers, because I know that's a lot of information people are looking for. So thank you, Kevin. And we hope that everybody stays healthy, stays safe, and also to you, Kevin, and your family. And um, we will be talking again soon. Same to you and yours. Thanks for listening to the Union Strong podcast. If you like what you're hearing, you can subscribe and give us a rating. This has been a production of the New York State AFL-CIO. Our president is Mario Salento. Our secretary treasurer is Terry Melvin. We're a federation of 3,000 unions representing 2.5 million union members, retirees, and their families with one goal, to raise the standard of living and quality of life of all working people. We keep New York State Union strong by fighting for better wages, better benefits, and better working conditions. For more information on the labor movement in New York, visit nysaflcio.org. Until next time, stay union and stay strong.